Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the Personal Resilience Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. Um, I'm your host for today, Dina Sargent. Um, I'm usually on other channels of part of the company, but today I am talking about resilience and talking about community resilience during natural disasters and or geophysical hazards, if that's how some people prefer it to. Um, I'm not going to be the one talking about this alone because I'm so, it, I had to Google what geophysical hazard was today. So I am very glad that I have Chelsea Perkins here to help me talk about it a little bit more and as to why community fits in really well with preparedness for natural disasters. So thank you so much for joining me, Chelsea. Thank you for having me. It is, I knew what natural disasters were, but the another word for it was your physical hazards. And that took me a little bit of understanding that it was exactly the same thing. Yes. Yes. So do you mind talking about how you sort of got into talking about and promoting community preparedness in natural disasters? Yeah. Um, so I, I went to school and I was a respiratory therapist and I really have this desire to help those that can't help themselves. Um, I fell in love working in the NICU, actually, with those little babies, um, premature babies that they didn't ask to be born with those birth defects or born early and all of those things. Um, and then I saw actually the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando um, and just fell in love with how that community recovered and tried to prevent things like that from happening again. Now, while a shooting is not a geophysical hazard, it is still a hazard and an example of how people can't help themselves at times. Um, very similar to after an earthquake, such as we've seen recently in Turkey um, and how so many people are displaced, so many people are looking for resources, so many people are looking for other family members. Um, so those are really the the key things that brought emergency management home for me and why I make it a point to be resilient myself, um, not just for me, um, but for my family, for my community, for my nation. It's, it's amazing to me just how big of a role community plays. Like you hear about or you see in, in films and things like that about earthquakes or tornadoes that come in and the siren plays for the whole community to be able to see. And for a lot of places, that's only something that you would see in the news or on TV or some other way, but you never actually get to really understand the impact of how a community plays such a deep role in mm -hmm. it. And it, it's really interesting to me to be able to understand that and just sort of understand how important the people around you and how important it is to sort of know the people around you in your community for emergency situations such as those. Yes, it's very important. I mean, you you can only do so much as an individual. 
um, especially to prepare yourself, prepare your family. But then if you get to know those in your community, such as um, I just came from a parent teacher association meeting, getting to know those other parents, teachers, administrators to know that my son's school half a mile away um, is an evacuation point, is a location that we can go to in the event of um, something that impacts our area, such as an earthquake, um, a flood, all of those things. We know that that is our evacuation point and that's something that it was helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just putting together those around you to know what your weaknesses are and what their strengths are and how you can complement each other. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's a really important reason as to why we're here talking about it today, especially when yep. it comes to do with resilience, not as only as an individual, like you just mentioned, but as a as a whole group of people and how resilient it is, how important it is to be resilient in this certain situation. Before we yep. get started, we love to start off with a little bit of a get to know you, a little bit of an icebreaker, just to sort of get sure. to know you a little bit more before we dive straight into what we're here to talk about. So when I say these uh, these phrases, just come up with the first thing that sort of comes to your mind. Sure. Okay, the first one is a favorite book of yours. My favorite book that I've read recently is called America at Risk. Um, a little redundant because that's my profession, but it was written in 2006 and it recently um, came to fruition with the COVID-19 pandemic. And it, it described what happened in New York with the pandemic um, almost to the T. So thinking about things back in 2006 and then they happen in 2020 um, is just eye opening and mind blowing to me. No, I think it's amazing how much past situations to relate to how we deal with things now. And you realize that it's not, it's not that different. So yeah, yeah, it's amazing to sort of look into it like that. The next one is a favorite movie of yours. Um, I'm a kid at heart. So my favorite movie is How to Train Your Dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, really a unorthodox challenge to have. Um, and then having the underdog come out on top, um, it just really, really hits home for me. It's not, you're not the first person to definitely say a Disney movie as their favorite movie. I think, I think it's such a relatable sort of franchise and it's such an amazing, the storyline is always good defeats evil, but in a way that you never really expect. So it's always nice like that. Yeah. Yeah. The next one is a favorite podcast that you've recently listened to. Recently, um, especially while I'm out running and training, I really enjoy listening to Natural Disaster and Emergency Management podcast. Um, Really helps to bring to mind the things that I do in my everyday job and what kind of an impact I can have on communities all the way across the nation, across California. So... No, that, that is amazing to have still like a podcast that you still enjoy, even though you deal with it every single day, just hearing yeah. that other perspective in another way. Yeah. Just getting a different take on everything <laughs> all the way across the country. It just, it just varies. So. Yeah, no, that, that sounds really nice. Um, the next one is a famous role model that you have. Um, Something 
quite unorthodox, but um, Marilyn Monroe is one of my biggest role models out okay. there. Um, and solely because she saw what she wanted and she went after it. Um, she became one of the most famous actresses um, around the world. And it, she she made it happen. She saw it as a, as a young child and, and she made it happen. So, No, I think, especially when it came out, the documentary uh, style Netflix show that came out of her, um, mm -hmm. that was incredible to sort of see just her life and just how much she went through, but you don't talk about that. You don't see, you see only her in pictures. And so uh -huh. it's nice to sort of know a little bit about how she got started. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Now this is a really interesting one for me. It's a course that you've completed and it somehow became a life changing experience. Um, One course that I have recently completed is my project management professionals course. Mm -hmm. um, it's a 35 hour course that um, I did self-study, but it really changed the way that I approach anything from painting a room um, to helping my son with his homework um, to my everyday job. So really just planning out and making phases of everything to, to accomplish a task. And it, it, like I said, can be applied professionally as well as personally. You never hear of courses that you can sort of do in a professional sense, but also in a personal sense that sort of changes the way that you do go through situations. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's, that's a really cool thing to have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Efficiency because you're learning both professional and personally. So exactly. Now today we have, we're talking about geophysical hazards and the role community has. Um, but talking about resilience, I know that a lot of people have a very different definition as to what resilience is. Why do you think resilience is important in our life? Resilience is what keeps you coming out the other side. Um, when you're faced with adverse interactions or an adverse situation and what what pulls you through that truly is your resilience and your ability to be flexible, to mold to the situation, um, not not be so stuck in your ways that you can't do what you need to do in this situation and come back and return to normal. Mm -hmm. So being being flexible is really key as um, an individual, as a mother, as and anything in your community, you have to be able to be flexible and be able to return to normal um, when you're faced with an adverse interaction. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of people have, like I said, a lot of people have different definitions as to what their type of resilience is. There are some people that think that resilience means being immune to stressors and immune to difficult situations and adversities. Um, mm -hmm. What's your take on that kind of definition. So I I disagree with that definition um, because every there's stressors everywhere. Um, we wouldn't have um, some of the problems we do have if we didn't have stressors in our lives. Um, you know the rapid heart rates and all of those things. So, um, but truly resilience is knowing how to navigate through those difficult situations, knowing how to handle, okay, I'm stressed, now what do I do? How do I react? How do I keep myself safe? How do I keep my family safe? How do I 
how do I go back to life as I know it? Or how do I find my new normal as we learned throughout um, recent events? Mm -hmm. And in those recent events, there's a lot of different situations that comes about. Um, For example, natural disasters that can sort of really be a huge stressor on Uh situations and really basically test your fight or flight response. Um, So how do you define what natural disaster and what can be classified as a natural disaster? Really, it's anything that's an act of God. Um, So such as, you know, an earthquake, um, a tsunami, all of those things, tornadoes, snowstorms, things that um, I've personally lived through and I witnessed from a distance. And now uh, having recently just moved from South Dakota to California, I'm seeing a very vast difference in natural disasters that are experienced in the two different locations. So um, just knowing that a large earthquake could occur and I would now be impacted by it is a little nerve wracking. Um, But putting things in place to protect myself, protect my family is what makes an individual resilient overall. And there are, there are a lot of people that say when it comes to if there's a known natural disaster kind of place, for example, if there's a city that you know is known for its natural disasters, why do mm-hmm. people still keep going to those places, living in those places? There's there's something that just attracts them to um, that location. A lot of people also, um, they're not able to leave. They're They're not financially stable enough to pick up and move. Um, I know how expensive it is to move across the country. And, um, you know, that was about a year and a half ago now. And a lot of people just can't can't make that expenditure to move away from that natural disaster. Um, And if everyone moved away from where natural disasters occur more frequently, um, those areas would become impacted by other disasters such as overpopulation, um, the sewer system not being able to handle the increased amount of population and those those types of things. Um, so you would just move problems around if you shifted the population based on where natural disasters happen most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, you can never get away from natural disasters. They happen everywhere. Um, as I noted, when I lived in South Dakota, we lived through Winter Storm Atlas in 2014 Um, where it was a federally declared disaster. Um, People lost their farms, their cattle, their livelihood. Um, South Dakota was out without power for uh, just about a week in certain places. Um, So it really tested the times. Um, And we saw a lot of people moving to South Dakota when we were leaving. Um, And it just, it'll, it'll become overpopulated in those problems will continue to follow that happen in over overpopulated locations. Mm-hmm. And so that means there's going to be a lot of need to sort of build a resilience to understanding that this doesn't need to run your life understanding and this doesn't need to be such a huge worry all the time. Because I know that there are a lot of people that are just like, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what we have to deal with it. We have to know that it's not always going to happen every single day, but that's just how it is in that country or that yep. area. Yeah. So what is the role of a person's resilience in sort of coping with 
the natural disasters that occur. We know that disasters always start locally. They're always they always start with the people that are impacted. And that's really where the recovery starts is when your local people figure out the steps that it takes, not necessarily taking those steps just yet, but what steps to take to get back to normal. Um, those that are impacted by a flood right now, how how do they keep themselves safe in that moment? And what's their next step is really the resilience and the, and the thought that you should have knowing what disasters are around you in your locations um, and really just making a plan, making sure that um, that you can withstand, you can adapt and you can overcome those challenges is really um, the individual level. We know from other numerous examples that help doesn't arrive very quickly in the event of a disaster. It takes time to get it organized. It takes time for people to show up, people to travel, um, people to put their life on hold to be able to respond. So you as an individual are the first line defense for your family, for your community to be able to respond and start that recovery process to get back to normal. Mm -hmm. And does every person's every individual's role look different to the others or is it just the same thing as protecting one area i think that it varies depending on your family depending on your situation if you are a single female no children no animals your role in the community could be a little bit different um, and your priorities are different as well as it would be for me with a family um, a five-year-old, two dogs, and a husband that I need to think about in the event of a disaster should we be impacted. So thinking about your strengths and weaknesses, and that's really where it comes together to know your community, to know your neighbors around you, um, and to have that plan in place to be able to respond, utilize the weaknesses, um, or util sorry, utilize the strengths, put aside your weaknesses, lean on other people, and your roles will just become different naturally. Um, we know thinking about chaos theory and all of those things that um, systems thinking that that eventually order comes about, but the quicker that you figure out the pieces that go together to make the system work, the better off you are. So the pre-planning, um, having those previous conversations with your neighbor, um, with your schools, with local resources out there is really what's going to set you up for success and allow you to be that much more resilient and to allow your community to be resilient, not just you yourself as a family or as an individual. So it's better to be as most knowledgeable about the different, the different precautions to take, the different sort of areas to go um, to go to in the face of a natural disaster is that sort of what builds the resilience and the tolerance to the situation that could possibly have come about? I think so. I think um, a lot of pre-planning comes into play um, depending on where you live. If you live down in Florida, um, you know that you're going to be impacted at some point in your life by a hurricane. So what is that? What are those preparedness steps that you need to take? Um, having moved or lived in South Dakota, I always had a propane tank for my grill in the event that we lost power and I couldn't use my stove at the in, on the inside. I could at least utilize my grill with the propane to be able to cook a warm meal for my family. Um, having 
um, and strategically planning for this isn't, you know, doomsday prepper, go out and buy all the MREs that are just delicious to eat. But um, making wise choices when you have the opportunities to do so is really what's going to make you flexible, allow you to make decisions on the fly and make the best decisions on the fly for your family. Mm -hmm. Um, Knowing that you have a stockpile of food means that you could potentially stay in your home for five days and you would be perfectly fine um, Mm -hmm. without going out into the world and adding to the chaos, potentially becoming part of the problem um, with traffic control, having um, limited gasoline to get out of get out of a city, um, really just being able to sit tight could potentially be your your best plan that you have. Especially coming like being in Australia, I'm definitely a outside looking in perspective into how the doomsday prepper part works as well like there's a lot of shows where it comes about and it does sort of I think a lot of people even in America a lot of my American friends say that they definitely dramatize a lot of the doomsday prep that sort of comes along and but how much preparedness is too much in your opinion I don't know that there could be too much preparedness um just in the thought that if you have, um, you know, a standard five days worth of of sustainable food, um, non-perishable food that you can rehydrate, you can um, make usable, uh, you know, and then you have the opportunity to share with somebody that being over prepared just helps your community that much more in those aspects. So if your neighbor you know, only has three days worth of food in their home. Um, you're able to help support them for maybe an extra day um, if necessary. And of course, those decisions are made when in dire straits and taking into account all of the information that you have at hand at the time. Mm-hmm. Every situation is going to be different. So you can you can plan for something to go one way and it goes a completely different direction. And you really just have to be prepared to be flexible and to have a backup plan. And you might have to shift to, to plan B. Um, there are times when in a hurricane you're planning for a flood, but then you also have to consider the winds and, um, the windows that you may live in a glass house. How, Mm -hmm. how do you adjust based on rising water and, um, still taking into account the winds to be able to keep your family safe. Mm -hmm. And talking about the different types of natural disasters, what are some of the most common natural disasters that we've seen or that are faced constantly? So I think um, constantly right now, what we are experiencing is the atmospheric river events due to the polar vortex. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's pushing the warm air in the polar vortex is pushing all of the cooler air down, which is picking up the water from um, the ocean and pushing it inland. And then it just is drowning California. Um, We're dealing with a lot of floods and you don't think of flooding in California. You think of wildfires that happen all the time, you know, constantly throughout the the, um, throughout the summertime when it's in drought. Mm -hmm. Um, So right now, that's what we're experiencing. And it really just depends on where you're at based uh, to determine what your most frequent hazard is. Um, mm-hmm. I know here in here in America, each individual county is required to do a threat assessment. 
um, every so often to make sure that they are planning and preparing for the disasters that are most likely to impact them. There are some places that will never be impacted by a tsunami, so they will never plan or practice for a tsunami. Um, no one ever thought a pandemic would happen. And then we were um, impacted greatly and immensely mm -hmm. and still impacted by the pandemic that's still ongoing. Um, and we're figuring out our new normal. That's how we're being a resilient country, um, a resilient world, really, is just figuring out that new normal. Um, California, like I said, with the wildfires happens almost every year. That's why I have a job um, and doing what I do, figuring out how we're going to logistically respond to a wildfire, do it safely, keep the lights on at night um, and during the day and do it safely so that we don't cause any further damage uh, within um, causing further wildfires or adding adding fuel to the fire, all of those things. So um, really just depends on where you live. It depending on or is the basis for figuring out what, what disasters are going to impact you the most. Mm -hmm. And after listening to those natural disasters, is it more of a human error that sort of can can cause a disaster to occur or is it usually just of natural causes so if you do a true root cause analysis on um why an earthquake happened it, it truly is a natural disaster um something that is not preventable but the aftermath and the preparedness, the resiliency of the community is something that is man-made. There are times that we do, as humans, we perpetuate the problems which are just further exacerbated by the geophysical hazard. Um, in Hurricane Katrina, we saw the inland waterways that were built part of Louisiana to help enhance the freight trade, um, bring things further in, inland, but it also helped the hurricane come in further and impact the area just that much more significantly. Um, that was one of the pivotal times for emergency management was, was Hurricane Katrina, um, knowing that we potentially helped that hurricane come in a lot closer than it should have been based mm -hmm. on things that we've done in the, in the future. Um, they had done pretty extensive studies highlighting the issues that were seen and observed in Hurricane Katrina. Um, you know, the levee failures, the lack of preparedness, the lack of funding to be able to fix the things that could potentially go wrong. Um, it just was exacerbated, which again is human error. Mm -hmm. um, knowing that you live in a high earthquake prone location. If you live right along the San Andreas fault line here in California, what are your building codes? What's your building code? What are the new standards for a building code to make it sway and make it flexible instead of just be constantly rigid and knowing that a rigid building will fall a lot quicker and harder than a flexible building that can move with the earth and still stay standing mm -hmm. and thus eventually saving lives. Is it mainly due to, I mean, you're talking about the human error that sort of can make it even, make it occur even further. Mm -hmm. How could it, how could it be fixed? Like, for example, how could the Hurricane Katrina be a little bit more prepared for 
the outcome of that, especially if there is sort of a risk assessment into the potential that could happen. Uh-huh. So it really comes into resource sharing, um, prioritization of what's important and what funding you have. Thinking about it from kind of a bigger scale, either national, county, state, um, what do you have at your at your fingertips that you can fix right now? What's going to make the biggest impact? Um, thinking about the waterways, there are, they were already built long before we knew that that was going to cause an issue. Mm-hmm. There's no way to prevent that from happening. But the levee system could have been a little bit more robust potentially to prevent the flooding, to prevent um, the um, the cities from being overwhelmed, New Orleans from being flooding um, or flooded, could have could have saved many many lives. Um, I just recently watched the series um, Five Days at Memorial. There's also a book out there about it as well. And it just is very impactful. That's how I got my start in emergency management was within healthcare, And that's a reason that storm and that story really is a reason why emergency management exists in healthcare is because of the things that happened there and the lack of planning, um, the lack of practicing um, to be able to be prepared for that type of situation. And I know you listed some of the consequences that could occur during a natural disaster. What are some other sort of significant consequences that can occur when there's a lack of preparedness, a lack of understanding, um, and a lack of communication within the community? Mm -hmm. So there could be, um, you know, the first and foremost thing is, is financial impacts. Um, you know, money speaks to many, many people, um, when you start to lose money, when you start to have to spend money um, to replace items that you may be losing or, um, you know, to turn your electricity back on, those types of things. Um, the other things that can happen is your, your life is disrupted. You have chaos. You have that increased stress, which then leads to mental health issues. Um, and then it just gets continued to perpetuate because there are people that are actually physically hurt and people are being directed to those physically hurt folks instead of dealing with the mental health disaster, the mental health issues that you're potentially going through. So then um, it just perpetuates and it continues to get worse and worse. You see a lot of depression after an event, um, especially if they're not able to get the resources that they need um, and do it in a timely manner. Other um, possible outcomes is really a, a socioeconomic um, downfall for a community. If you live in a small community, I grew up in a very small community um, in South Dakota, about 4,500 people live in that town. And if it was impacted by the electrical grid shutting down, um, you know, say uh, uh, an earthquake happened and took out part of the electrical grid and it took several days to get the power back on, um, what does a grocery store do? How do they keep their food cool to keep it good, keep it editable um, um, so that you can um, still live? You can still go to the grocery store. How do they replenish those supplies when you're faced with that? So you can just see the, the domino effect that happens when you don't have a plan in place. If you don't have a backup generator, 
if you don't have your electrical systems evaluated to tie into that electrical generator? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have the diesel fuel for that electrical or for that generator? Um, what what type of things do you have um, to be sustainable on your own for a period of time? And what impact um, does your um, potential business have on that on the community? Like I said, the the grocery stores are impactful. Um, if children can't go to school because there's no electricity, there's um, weather preventing them from going to school. Um, of course, COVID thankfully taught us telecommunication and um, hybrid school, um, being able to do your school on the computer. But if there's no electricity, there's no internet, um, how do you do school from home if you can't get to the actual school and be safe? Um, what does that do for some children? There are um, sadly children out there that their only meal is at school. Um, what does that do for them if they have to stay home because of a hazard, because of a disaster, um, and they're not able to go get that one meal a day that they know um, something that will sustain them? No, I think especially you saw a lot of it during the pandemic, and I think it was widely known the different situations the different circumstances when so many families their mental health for example as well had to be impacted with staying home so often um Mm -hmm. a lot of families were um were also forced with the habit of being in confined spaces with each other as well and that could be a huge risk for a lot of family members who aren't in a greatest household environment so I think we saw a lot of that when it came to COVID, when it came to other disasters that can sort of come into place and times that you often don't don't expect it to. So how common are backup generators in not only businesses, but individual houses? Um, I know um, they became quite popular in South Dakota when after, like I said, Winter Storm Atlas in 2014, People realize that they they thrive on electricity. Um, a lot of people will um, pretend they'll slaughter a cow um, and put all of the food in a freezer. Um, their freezer would turn off. All of that food would go to waste. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not that's not cheap to have a cow slaughtered and to save the meat, have it processed. Um, so it's something that they have to think about and think. You know, if I can buy a um, fifteen hundred dollar generator and potentially save this. $2,000 cow and have it last for to feed my family through the pandemic, through any other type of disaster. Is it is it worth it? Um, we saw a lot of generators being handed out here in California during our um, the storm series that really started um, on December 31st here. And we saw 13 storms back to back where we ha- we lost power um, throughout the entire state after experiencing a 6.8 earthquake in Humboldt County um, just impact impacting Ferndale um, so we saw a lot of requests for generators throughout all of California for private residences not just the the hospitals the healthcare clinics those that are required to have them based on standards from um, CMS, Joint Commission, all of those things. But a lot more people realized that 
power is is a gift. It's actually it's a necessity to to most people, and they didn't want to go for days without it. Mm. Well, that it makes complete sense, especially when it comes to also. Like you said, when it came to the meat, when it came to produce, when it came to all these different situations, individual houses did sort of need some kind of normalcy in on top mm-hmm. of everything that's going on. Now, talking about the ways that it can be, like the consequences, can we actually prevent it or at least minimize the risk of it continuously happening as a individual? You can definitely minimize the risk and or minimize the impact, not necessarily the risk. Um, you can plan ahead. You can plan for the big earthquake that's going to hit San Andreas fault line. Um, you you can plan for the earthquake that's going to take um, half of Seattle into the sea. Um, you, you you can plan for all of those things, but you can't ever prevent that earthquake from happening. You can't prevent the tornado from coming. Um, the tsunami, those types of things. All you can do is prepare yourself to brace and take that and be able to do what you can for your family to come out on the other side. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially, I think we talked about it a little earlier, where some families just aren't able to leave the area, to leave for many, many different reasons, whereas it's socioeconomic status or financial reasons. So in the ways of sort of being prepared for it, there is always a need for a lot of community togetherness uh-huh. and a lot of community partnerships. How important is it for us to engage with our community, to be a part of the community around us, as well as getting to know the neighbors, for example? It's very important. Um, I think I mentioned it earlier that you can't be everything to everybody. So you have to be able to capitalize on your strengths and capitalize on your neighbor's strengths. So if I um, if I'm a planner, um, but I can't, let's say, wire a generator or figure out how to turn the generator on, mm-hmm. I need a mechanic. I need somebody that's mechanically inclined to help me um, to, to make that generator kick into gear to provide that power. Um, knowing is something I just said to one of my colleagues is, is emergency management is all about who, you know, um, and if you don't know the right people, you need to go find the right people. Building a network is so key, not only pers- uh, professionally, but also personally, because like I said, you, you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it and you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know how to wire the generator to your home to make it, um, to make it functional? Um, do you need to wire it to your home? Can you run just mass amounts of electrical cords? How long is your diesel fuel going to last? Those types of things. Um, I, I could probably figure it out if I had the internet and could Google things, but um, if there's no power, that that's a problem. So yeah. um, knowing the right people and bringing the right people together is truly emergency management. Um, and just knowing that you can't be everything to everybody and you have to ask for help, you have to find the right people. Does community engagement in that case, in that sense as well, does it enhance our resilience against the different types of hazards that can occur? It does, it does. Because you you find out, um, you know, I, I go to the gym in the mornings and I am slowly but surely learning about these people that I'm, I'm working out with, um, realizing that I work out with a firefighter, um, 
key skills to have here in California, first off, but um, also knowing that he speaks my language as an emergency manager um, to know that I can ask a question. He's a he's a good point of contact for me in the event of um, a wildfire or a medical emergency, those types of things. Um, figuring out that I also work out with some teachers at school to know that they are tied into so many different resources within the community, um, whether it's medical providers, um, all other sorts of resources such as food banks, which could be could come in handy for those that aren't able to stockpile food. Um, they're not able to have the dehydrated food on standby. Um, those that don't have the the forethought to think I need to fill my propane tank to make sure that my grill has has fuel for me to cook my food on. Um, so all of those key things, you don't you don't know what you're going to need until you need it. And that's why casting a wide net within mm. your community is really key. Then you you have a point of contact, you have a, a point of reference to say, this is what I need. Um, and if I need it, somebody else needs it as well. And that could benefit more than just me to get back to normal, to get to, to do what I need to, um, to take care of my family, feed my family, keep them warm, um, keep them safe. Even um, there there does come a time when in disasters, um, people lose their minds. Chaos theory is highlighted and it, everyone just lose their minds and they just start taking what they need and they only start thinking about themselves and really having the conversations, having that forethought and planning ahead really will help decrease those types of things from happening. It will not completely stop them. I don't believe that that's possible. Um, but I think that you could definitely head off the problem and protect yourself, protect those that you care about, protect your community by having those points of contacts, knowing where to go when you need to and knowing who the right people are. And you're talking about a whole lot of people with different sets of skills that sort of fit in can be used for a wide range of different situations. What kind of activities should a community sort of go do together or practice together in order to prepare for different kinds of disasters? Um, here in, in the U.S., it's actually very popular. There are um, organizations called CERT or Community Emergency Response Teams that mm -hmm. you can you know, go and you can do training. Um, the, you know, um, CMS has a requirement to do exercise drills based on your um, hazard assessment. Volunteering in the community in any sort, um, any sort of capacity can help with that. It gets you tied in um, and I don't know that there would be a bad interaction or a bad um, event to attend in your community because you're going to meet somebody anywhere you go. The first two examples that I gave really highlight on disasters and how do you respond or how does that organization respond in the event of a disaster. Um, but it really helps you to focus on how are you going to respond when you're faced with these circumstances. And it puts you in a safe environment to test the theories, to test what you think could happen or what you think you would do. And then it makes sense to you. Would I really do this? Is this something that I want to change in my mindset? Is this something that I want to change my plan? Um, you know, up until my PTA meeting today, I, I had a different evacuation point for my husband and I um, and my family. And then realizing that the school is there, 
the school is an evacuation point for us to go to for resources should we have to evacuate from our home. Um, it, it, it helps test your mind and helps you walk through by just participating in those exercises, participating in those drills. There's standards out there for any, any type of organization mm-hmm. um, that require the testing of emergency plans. And you as an individual saying, hey, I want to be a victim, I want to practice um, is a great opportunity for you to test out your own plans, um, put put things in perspective for yourself. Um, participating in your PTA is another good option to be able to interact with those families, um, interact with those that are in your community. Again, building that network, figuring out those skill sets that everybody has that you that make him come in handy in any future circumstance. Mm-hmm. And how often do you think that they that there should be a level of sort of preparedness to what can come about? So how often do you communities or even individuals just go ahead and practice the drill routine as to mm-hmm. what would happen in such circumstances? So I definitely think it depends on um, depends on where you live, depends on how frequently you practice. Mm-hmm. Um Something that I have practiced with my family personally is that my son knows my cell phone number. We practiced it um, every morning until he had it down pat. Um, And now he can just rattle it off. So if he ever goes missing, he always has my cell phone number um, to be able to say, I need you to call my mommy. This is her phone number. Um, He is working on learning our address so that he knows where he lives should he get displaced. so it's just something until you feel comfortable with your response plan, um, something to um, to practice until you feel comfortable is really, it's very subjective, I know, but it, it, it's just until you feel comfortable, um, until you feel comfortable evacuating from your home and going to that evacuation point. Um, like I said before, you, you can't be too prepared. But there is um, there is definitely a fine line between over practicing, um, especially when you're working with an organization. You don't want to always be thinking about the bad things that can happen, um, thinking about all the stressors that could happen. Um, being prepared is a, is a great thing, but also being able to relax and realize that what's going to happen is going to happen. And knowing that you have planned and you've prepared the best you possibly can is a humbling thought. Mm-hmm. No, that it makes a lot of sense to see how often it should be practiced. I mean, it's it's very good to see the fact that your son is memorizing the number and it's it must be a, such a relief for a lot of families. Like, is that something that you would recommend for a lot of parents or a lot of families to, for each child to sort of know emergency contacts off by hand? 100%. I think it's one of the best things that you could teach your children is um, who's safe to approach when you do, when they do get um, displaced, when they do get separated from their adults, um, from their supervision. Um, I know I had an experience when I was a young child um, that I I got lost and I knew that a fire station was was a safe place. My downfall was that I didn't know my dad's um, cell phone number took to call him. I didn't know where he worked. I didn't know anything about where I was, where I lived. And that was challenging for those firefighters to figure out where I belonged. Um, they were able to do it. It just took eight hours or so. But 
Um, it was a fun eight hours in a fire station for me. Um, but something that I, I don't want my son to have to experience. So I want him to know, um, to know how to get in contact with me. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not because a, a fire station is scary. It's just, you're, you're taking those firefighters and those resources away from somebody that could actually be use, using them. Mm-hmm. Um, so just food for thought, something to be prepared, um, trying to not be part of the problem is really what I'm trying to teach my son. And in case disaster has already happened, in case the sort of situation has already occurred, whereas the disaster has taken place and it's how, what should we as a community or as individuals do in order to recover from the situation or recover from the disaster that has already happened? Uh So it really starts with um, getting together and making a recovery plan, um, figuring out um, where the, where the common point is to get information about what happened, what resources are available, especially if you haven't planned ahead for um, an earthquake. Um, you know, we live here in Sacramento. It's not earthquake prone, um, slight possibility that it could happen, but Um, if it does happen, I need information. I need to know what resources are available, um, where I can go to get medical care because in, in the event of a disaster, people are going to get injured. People are going to, um, have loss of life. And those people are going to go to the, to the hospital. If I have, um, a broken leg, not necessarily a medical emergency, where can I go to not clog up the ER, um, that for people that are critically injured? Um, those types of Im- that that type of information is what I'm what I'm looking for to be able to bounce back. And that's the immediate response. Um, over time, things will settle up, settle down. Um, you'll figure out that, you know, you'll, you can go to this location for information. But honestly, your best bet, if your house is structurally safe and structurally sound, um, is really just to stay home and figure out um, how much food you have. What, what do you need to take care of yourself? Do you have everything that you need to take care of yourself? If you don't, go back out, find that information, figure out where you can go to get that food, where you can go to get that water, um, all those types of things until things start to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can return to work, you can return to school. Um, it's safe to drive out on the roads again. Um, you're you're not in the chaos out, out in the wide open vast world. Mm -hmm. And how does a community sort of play a role in each individual's sort of recovery situation? Again, you don't know what you don't know what you don't know. You might live next to a a mental health therapist that could potentially help you through a very challenging time. Um, You know, you you have an act of God and a, a, a lightning strike strikes your home and starts your house on fire. Um, that therapist out there in the street could help calm me as a mother down while the firefighters are are potentially rescuing my son. Um, You don't know what you don't know until you need it again. Mm -hmm. Um, So the community and gathering that information, figuring out who is the right people to bring to the table to have those conversations. Um, The other key thing is that people flock the places where they're going to get information when they're where they're going to get resources so if you follow the crowd um you're eventually going to get information um you're eventually going to find what you're looking for um of course do it safely um so 
making sure that you are um, prepared to deal with a crowd. Uh, not something I would take my five-year-old into, but um, I, I would go to get that information. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking about where people are, are flocking to. And if you can't hear something or you can't um, get to wherever the information is being provided, someone from your community, your neighbor could go get that information and bring it back and share it with the other five houses that are on our cul-de-sac. Um, so that could be a resource sharing somebody that is basic, maybe a little bit more physically fit to be able to walk through the crowd um, and then bring that information back. Then you run the risk of the telephone game, though, and, and misinterpretations and mishearing things. But yep. you're getting getting a certain amount of information that you would have or you would not have had someone not gone to get that information. Mm-hmm. No, I think when you talk about the way that community plays a role, it's it's amazing to see how a lot of people sort of really gather together and do as much as you can. I mean, you see a lot on the news after a situation has happened, after, for example, an earthquake has happened, just the amount of community, it really feels like a community. It doesn't feel like uh-huh. different people just sort of helping out, lending a hand. It's actually a community help that's really gathered together in order to um, deal with certain situations or either whether it's helping children, gather children around, finding families or tied up together and it, it's amazing mm-hmm. just just how everyone comes together in that time of need and that time of desperation yeah it's very it's very humbling to see how a community pulls together and um, interacts after a disaster mm-hmm. um, after flooding um, hearing of a co-worker that took her paddleboard um, down to where her mother was staying and her house was surrounded by um, by water. She took her paddleboard down there and she helped rescue her mother as well as a couple different neighbors from their homes um, because they had lost power. Um, they didn't have adequate adequate resources. So she brought them from where they were at on their paddleboard back to her car where she could drive them back here to Sacramento where there's resources, um, availability of housing, all of those things, a rescue point that was set up. Um, so it's really, it's, it warms my heart to know that there are still good people out there that will stop. Um, I'm safe. So now I can help somebody else mm-hmm. um, to have just to have that mentality. Yeah, no, I, for sure. Especially um, for Australia, there's a whole different vast of things. There's either a fire or a flood or a fire and a flood in two different states at the same time. And okay. it's amazing to see how, I mean, we, we do have a, sort of volunteer group dedicated and it's called SES in Australia where it's um, a lot of volunteers who are trained in order to help through situations and I know a lot of uh, friends of mine who are a part of that group which is it's phenomenal to hear how generations of generations are just participating and volunteering in order to help the situations that occurs because especially when you don't know um the time that it could happen, the event that could happen. And amazing people drop everything and just are able to go and assist in those situations. Yeah. Just re reemphasizes that there are still good people out there. There's still good people in the world. Yes. And that's something that is going to help communities, the world, just be more resilient. Yes. No, I completely agree with that. Um, the next part of the show is a practice and habit debrief, just sort of what you would do 
um, what your practice is. So what is the practice that you do in order to deal with a natural disaster? Um, something that I do is that if I find, um, it, it's kind of, um, potentially embarrassing, but if I find that I get a gift for, um, my birthday or Christmas that I don't particularly care for, um, I will return it and I will think about, um, purchasing maybe a duffel bag, um, to store extra things in, in the event that I have to leave my home, um, I will take time to go through my clothes and maybe there's some things that are um, out of style. Um, instead of taking them to Goodwill or getting rid of them in some other fashion or some other manner, um, I will put those in the bag so that I have a quote unquote go bag ready for me. Um, now being that I have medical background as I was a former respiratory therapist, um, definitely not a nurse. But I am able to dress a wound. I'm able to clean a wound. Um, I'm able to throw some steri strips on, um, help protect an airway, those types of things. I do have a small first aid um, supply kit that is in that duffel bag as well so that I'm able to provide um, any sort of emergency services if, you know, I come upon them or my family needs something, um, something simple. Um, so taking the time to think about building that go bag um, is something that I have put into practice to make sure that should I have to leave my home quickly, I have the things that I need. Um, I know exactly where my important documents are, such as my marriage license, my son's birth certificate. Um, and of course, everything is digital nowadays anyway. But um, what if the servers go down? How do I prove or is there a need even to prove, you know? doomsday prepping here coming out but um just think food for thought buying purchasing something that um instead of something that you want maybe something a little bit more about what you need to be just that much more prepared for something to happen mm -hmm. and what are three good things that you feel um take precedent in this practice i really think that it um sets an example, not only for my son, but for the rest of my family. Um, you know, I, I said that I've just moved from South Dakota. I left all of my family there in South Dakota. Um, my dad, my siblings, um, encouraging them to take a gift card that I have purchased for them, or um, if they don't like a gift, encouraging them to do a similar practice, helping them be a little bit more prepared for that next winter storm atlas that's going to hit South Dakota. Um, potentially inhibiting their ability to leave, um, you know, putting putting a gift card towards um, dehydrated, dehydrated food, not necessarily MREs because they are not delicious, but um, utilizing something to build that little bit of stockpile, encouraging um, spending $5 on an 18 pack of water for water bottles um, to have in your in your garage or gallons of water, things, um, things that are, that are not perishable, um, to just have on hand in the event that you need them, um, preparing to have that, um, the propane tank so that you can cook a warm meal is, it could potentially make all the difference in the world for you. Mm -hmm. And what are some challenges that you go through when going, going about this practice when, um, it could be, there could be a wide variety of challenges I'm assuming that could occur. Yeah. 
Yeah. So one one thing that I struggle with is that I like to do everything all at once and just get it done. Um, I like to have my ducks in a row and make sure that um, the squirrels aren't going off somewhere else. I like to make sure and and just while I'm thinking about it, I'm going to do it. Um, that sometimes and most likely for most individuals is not feasible. Um, cannot be feasible to just drop everything and go through your clothing and find out what am I going to put in my in my duffel bag um, in the event I have to leave. Um, sometimes people don't have an extra $5 to go buy that 18 pack of water to have in your garage or the extra gallon of water to have in your garage um, to refill your propane tank. Um, so that's one thing that I struggle with is wanting to do it all at once. Um, you know, another practice that I'm putting into place is that I just I just read an article about a car safety kit. And it's great to have a, a car safety kit in your trunk. Um, but if it's in your trunk and you're um, crushed up against a tree, how is it helpful to you in the trunk? Um, so how do you how do you get to those supplies if you're um, incapacitated or you know unable to move because of whatever situation? Um, so so having the kit great first start. Um, the next step to finish that is really just strategically place it. Similar concept in your home as well. Um, whether it's a evacuation bag or certain supplies. Um, throughout your home. So just really wanting to do it all at once. And I have all these ideas in my head and all these things since we've moved, um, just takes time, effort, um, finances to make those things happen. And how often do you usually practice this habit or practice, um, for example, the go bag and the water? How often do you practice putting it all together? So, um, you know, I evaluate what's in my go bag probably at least once a year mm -hmm. just to make sure that things are not expired, um, especially within the first aid kit. While expired things can be helpful in the event of a disaster, um, not always the best practice. Um, so those don't ever get thrown away, but to replenish with good um current non-expired things such as, you know, bacitracin, making sure your alcohol isn't dried out, um, those types of things. So I do make a point to um, check the supplies about once every year um, to make sure that that's stocked, it's ready to go, I'm comfortable and I know what's in there. Um, and then you know, just making sure that um, the water is still there, it's not leaking, it's not been um, hacked into as a five-year-old will say, I want some water and just go grab a bottle of water. Mm -hmm. um, making sure that it, it di didn't disappear um, from the garage. Um, so it's really something that being being in my profession, um, something that I think about pretty frequently, but for a normal person, um, I would say honestly, once a year, if you make sure that you um, check your boxes, make sure that you know your evacuation plan, um, know your meeting location for your family, making sure your children know your phone number, your address, um, having a plan to achieve that level of competency is really beneficial. Mm -hmm. And how do you think that this practice impacts your own personal resilience? So I think that having this plan in place, um, having food on hand, having emergency water supplies means that I won't have to use up some of the resources that others that can't make those choices, that can't 
um, provide those those resources to them. Um, I'm not taking up those extra extra resources. I'm able to provide for myself. The food banks and other resources can help those that can't help themselves. So really, it, it helps not just myself and my family be more resilient, but it helps my community be more resilient to be able to provide what they can to who needs it, not just mm-hmm. who wants it. Mm-hmm. And on top of this practice, what other recommendations of a, of a practice that can be combined or even improve your particular practice? Um, there's always room for improvement. Um, you, nothing is ever going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I have strived um, or that I do strive to do is to be more involved in the in the community, um, more volunteer time, um, interacting with the CERT team, interacting with the fire department. Um, you know, when I first moved here, I traveled a lot for my job. And so I didn't have the opportunity to get to know my community. Um, I was just I was gone so much. And now that I'm stationed at home, I work from home, it's a little bit more important to me to figure out who's my local fire chief, who's my local um, police contact. Um, figuring, figuring all of those things out is definitely something that I am striving to improve upon. Getting more involved in the community starts with the PTA at my son's school. Um, it's obviously just up and getting started. Um, but being involved in any sort of community organization is something that I strive to do. Um, personally to be more resilient, meet more people, um, build that strong network of people that you may need in the future. Mm -hmm. Now, we're going through a couple of questions from the audience. There are quite a few, but I think there are a few that I think are really important. I don't think we touched base a little bit on this, so I'm just going to go through them all just see. Yep, perfect. First one is, how can communities work together to rebuild after a natural disaster and also promote resilience in the face of future events? I think that resource sharing is really how communities can support each other. Um, If you have a small community that was impacted by a windstorm a little bit more than another local community, Mm -hmm. um, having, having and sharing the resources, whether it's rebuilding fences, um, putting poles back up, um, fixing windows, those types of things. You could share the labor, you could share the resources all across um, both communities um, to make you more flexible. Mm-hmm. On the, the other side is that maybe there's something that the, the impacted community can do for the other community later. Um, not necessarily as a return favor, but just truly to say thank you for helping us. Um, thank you for helping us get back to normal. Thank you for helping us to um, figure those things out. So um, I, again, I can't say it enough. The more connected you are and the more um, interactions you have, not necessarily just in your small community, but within your local communities, within your uh, regional community, your state, um, the better off you're going to be. What sort of skills are good for individuals to know? Um, I really think that stopping and taking a breath and not making a knee-jerk reaction in the event of a disaster is really something that, um, has helped me, um, not necessarily just for like a medical emergency back in my respiratory therapy days, but when faced with a natural disaster, such as a snowstorm, um, you know, it's coming, 
what kind of thought process do you have and how do your practices change? Um, do you just knee-jerk reaction, pull your plan off the shelf and just throw it into practice? Or do you stop and think, we just got done with a pandemic. Um, what do I need to do differently before I put this plan in place? So instead of just knee-jerk reaction, we need to leave our home because we were impacted by an earthquake. Stop and think, do we truly need to leave our home? Do we really need to go out into the world, cause the chaos, possibly tear, um, tie up more resources that could be available to those that need them? Um, so just stopping and taking a breath is really key. Okay. Now, how important is CPR in the face of a natural disaster? Could be very, um, a very important skill. It's not something that a lot of people um, maybe fortunately have done, um, but knowing what it feels like to do it on a real human is, is very beneficial. Um, just to know the way it feels different from a human being versus a mannequin, um, very different. Of course, and now I'm not saying go out and practice CPR on a human being, please don't. Um, if their heart is beating, that would be very painful. But what I am saying is that those skills and putting them into practice and actually thinking about what you're doing and why you're doing it is is key. Why are you pushing down on the chest so far? Um, and really understanding those practices is it can save countless lives. So individuals knowing CPR would be the best thing that they could they could do, especially if they know that there's a common natural disaster that can take place. Yes. Yep. Um, the stress and possibly, um, you know, loss of blood and all of those things, you you can treat um, many things between hands-only CPR, utilizing an AED machine, um, but that's only if you're trained to do so. Knowing those skills is really important. Um, being certified in how to use those, that equipment, um, doing those procedures is very, very, very important. So, um Yes, learning it in the right setting is very important. Okay. Now, also, how important is the news when it comes to disasters, when it comes to keeping up with what's going on? Um, I think that you really have to focus on the facts of what's happening and stick with the same news source. Um, mm -hmm. Be consistent. You start hearing different things from different news sources and you start questioning what's really real and what's not. Um, you know, finding out or figuring out um, at the start of the COVID pandemic, how did how did this virus get out into the public? It doesn't matter. It's here. Mm -hmm. It's here. How are you going to address it? That, you know, taking away the politics, taking away the um, publicity of all of it. How do you take care of yourself and how do you take care of the virus um, to prevent that from impacting you is really the things that you need to focus on when you're looking at the news, um, when you're reading the news focus on um, the public announcements that come from your local emergency management organizations um, to, to be able to tell you where to go to get help. Um, here's where you can go to get various resources. Here's where you go for this type of medical care. Here's how you um, get another type of medical care. Um, those, those public announcements are going to save a lot of people's lives as well. And they push them out nowadays in any sort of um, possible fashion that they can, whether it's social media, whether it's radio, um, TV. You can even see uh, people going down the streets with um, megaphones 
shouting these instructions, shouting where to get your resources so that it's all communicated um, and not necessarily just in English. Um, you know, here there's a lot of um, Spanish speaking folks. So it's it's in different languages as well to be able to communicate with all of the community, not just a particular subset. Mm-hmm. No, and I think it's it's amazing just how diverse um, the community is when it comes to just knowing the situation and knowing what kind of help is needed. And I think the signs are very important. I've definitely seen them um, on the news when it it's shown as to what the community looks like and just yeah. the different languages that sort of come about, the different communities that occur in the same place, in the same area. I think it's it's amazing just how diverse every situation is and it's nothing to do with um and I think a lot of people understand it as seeing it as not something that's very separated it's nothing you all come together in a face of disaster and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what race or what religion it is it's everyone's going through the same thing and I think um as a society that's amazing to see just how um communicative everyone is mm-hmm. it's it's heartwarming to see everybody pull together um, when faced with a disaster. And that's really what pulled me to my field of emergency management. Just seeing the community um, within that nightclub, within um, all of small community in Orlando pulling together to be able to recover from that. um, Very, very heartwarming. So this leads perfectly well into our next and very last section is the open mic where you get to talk about anything that you are passionate about, anything that you're currently working on. Um, so yeah, in the last few minutes or so, definitely just, you have the floor. Thank you, thank you. Um, I guess one thing that I'm passionate about is achieving your goals. Um, when I left South Dakota, um, I'd always have this big, hairy, audacious goal of working on a federal disaster. Um, and I, I did it this year. Um, I was able to work on the federal disaster that was um, declared in the beginning of January. And I never thought that I would achieve that goal so quickly. Um, so now I just have to make my next goal and, and move right on up. So um, really just, even though you think that your dreams are ridiculous, you think that they are unattainable, still achieve them, still push yourself, um, still work towards them because it, it makes you feel absolutely amazing when you achieve that goal. No, I, I definitely agree with you. And I definitely commend you. Um, congratulations on being able to achieve that goal and as well work with the exact area that you're wanting to work in. Uh, it's it's actually very inspiring to know that it's actually doing something, whereas a lot of people, they sit on the outskirts or they okay. just watch it from a TV screen. But to know that you're actually in front of it, you're actually dealing with it head on. I think, I think it's really inspirational. I think it's, it's a good thing to achieve. And it's a, um, like I said, still just jaw dropping that I did achieve it, but, um, makes me want to level up, makes me want to do more, um, you know, next disaster. I want to be on there. So, yeah, well, that's incredible. I hope there are no disasters, um, coming up that sort of come about in order for that next goal to be achieved yeah. but yeah. knowing knowing that it could actually happen at any point I think it's amazing that there are people that are going to be there and people that are going to be 
joining forces in order to help overcome it and help recover from it. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So thank you so much, Chelsea, for coming on and talking about natural disasters, talking about how it affects communities and also how impactful community help and community guidance can actually be when facing a disaster. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. If there is a way that audience members would like to further get information um, or get to talk to you as well, is there a way that they are able to? Yes, yes. So they um welcome to find me on LinkedIn. Um we can also share my email address if you would like. Um it's just my first and last name, the number nineteen at gmail.com. Um easiest way to get a hold of me is really my email or LinkedIn. So Okay, perfect. I'll definitely have those in the link below and whether you're watching on YouTube, um, if you're watching on Spotify, I think it might be on the side, but it'll be easy for everyone to view it. Uh, so yeah, Perfect. thank you so much again for coming on and talking about this. I think it's such, it's such a discussion that needs to happen more often, especially when the idea of and the topic of being prepared for it. I think not all of us really see how much preparation goes into natural disaster and, and sort of going through it and surviving it. So I think it's something that I'm glad we got to share on the show today and also help our audience be a lot more aware of it. Yes, it's always a good topic to have at hand. So thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. You have been listening to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 Life Management Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pr.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.